0: This morning we continue in 1 Samuel. As we look in the book of 1 Samuel this morning, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7 in your Bibles. I want to talk to you this morning about a fresh start. About getting that fresh start in your life. We look at our lives, and, and this year I know a lot of you are hoping that the Broncos have a fresh start. Uh, as, as we look at preseason, and, uh, and there's a few other, I know Ken's over here rooting for the Chiefs that they have a fresher start uh, than the Broncos do. And luckily we have no Raiders fans in here. Uh, I think they all got excommunicated years ago. Uh, Whatever, every other team you are following, you're all hoping your team gets a fresh start, that they've chosen the right draft people to come play on their team, that they've got the right quarterback, they've got the right running back, and that this year is going to be the year. I know the Cleveland Browns every year wish that they know this year's the year. This year's the year that we're not going to go 0-16. This is the year we're not going to go 0-16. Last year, I think they were 0-16, weren't they? It was pretty bad. We all want that fresh start in our lives. School's starting up this week. Aliyah went to school on Thursday for the first time. In, uh, not for the first time, but just since summer started. Let me back up. She started school again uh, for the fall and looking forward to her classes. The college students are starting this next week, and they're all looking for that. Got to get those grades. Got to impress my teachers. I got to go do what needs to be done. So my teachers give me that uh, C, B, or A. Um, we all want to do what's right. We, some of you are starting new jobs. Some of you are hoping to start a new jobs. Some of you wish you could start a new job and get that fresh start. This is a good time of year to start afresh. And this morning as we look in 1 Samuel chapter 7, you're going to, we're going to look at the Israelites. and our know, God has used their experiences up to now. Remember going out into battle against the Philistines and losing drastically. 4,000 people just died. Boom. So okay. they go back again. Surely we can do it this time. We can take the ark. It's our... Magic weapon, and we're going to take it out there with us. It's the secret ring as a little Lord of the Rings fans. And we're going to take that with us. It's our talisman that's going to protect us against the Philistines. And they lose 30,000, and the ark gets captured. They thought they'd heard from the voice of God, even though God had spoken. And so as the ark now comes back, after Philist, the Philistines being judged by God, Samuel is now getting ready to lead them in worship. He's now getting ready to teach them and to share with them, you've been worshiping all these false idols all your life. You've been ignoring God's commands all your life. Now is the time to get that fresh start. So this morning, as we look in God's word, maybe you're not where you want to be in your faith. Maybe you're just restarting again in your faith, and you're like, no, I've been out of church for a long time, and I'm just wanting to get reengaged and begin learning more about God's Word. Maybe you've been a faithful believer, a faithful tender for years and years and years, but there's maybe some aspect of your life, it's like, you know, I just don't like this part of my life over here. Today is a fresh start. Everyone this morning has given permission to start anew no matter what's going on in your life in the past, you can start fresh today. And that's good news, that we are not stuck in the past. We're not identified by our failures and our weaknesses. We read about Israel's, right? We read about Israel's failures, weaknesses all all day long, but we are not identified by those failures, weaknesses in our own lives. There's a fresh start today for you. Let's go to to God in prayer real quick before we open up his word. I want to invite God's Holy Spirit into our midst this morning. Invite him to move among us and to speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge this morning that you are God. That you are the king of our lives. We are but your servants. That you've placed here on this earth to glorify you. To bring glory to your name through our lives and our actions, our speech. And this morning, Lord, we, we admit and acknowledge that there's sometimes areas in our lives that are not they don't match up with your holy word. We live unrighteously. And this morning, God, I invite, I want to invite your Holy Spirit into our midst. We invite you to move among us seat to seat to seat and touch us and press upon us how we might today start anew, to start fresh. We invite you today, God, to fill us with your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 7, in verse 3 and 4, he says, And Samuel said to the, all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away your foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you. Direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the balls and the Ashtoreth and they served the Lord only. Now if you remember what brought them to this point, back in chapter 3, 4, double check, chapter 4, the very first verse says, and the word came to Samuel and then we read all about the downfall and some bad stuff that happened to Israel, right? And today, as we look in his word, we hear about the word that came to Samuel finally. What brought him to these words? What brought him to these words that are on the screen behind me? What brought him to say to the people of Israel? If you are return to the Lord today, then put away these foreign gods and direct your heart to the Lord. What led him to that point? What led him to speak these words this morning? If you remember the last week as we went through this, the people rose up to go out against battle against the Philistines. They took the ark. He was defeated. The ark sat in the temple of Dagon, the god of Phil- Philistines. the Philistines. The statue fell down before the ark. They lifted it back up. It fell down again with the head and arms cut off. So the, and the Philistines began getting these tumors and sores all over the body. They recognized that it was God who was the God of the Philist, of the Israelites, rather, who was coming against them and trying to uh, judge them for what they were doing and lifting up their God above him. So they sent the ark back. And not just that they sent the ark back, they put the ark on the back of a, of a wagon with a newborn Uh, not newborn, a new mother cow, the newborn they kept behind and they set the the ox on. And they said, if the ox goes over the hill toward Israel and not turn back around to its newborn calf, we'll know that the God of the Philistines has accepted our offering and bring healing to us. And sure enough, that ox goes over the hill and turns, goes right back toward Israel. Nobody's leading it. Nobody's guiding it. It's going all by itself. And then it winds up in the land of Kiriath-Jerim, a little, a little land up in the area there, a little city nearby. And the Israelites are so excited and they walk up to it and they go, let's look inside, it's, what's there? Bad news. Seventy people killed right there. Because they, were, they also did not have the proper respect for God. They had placed him among all the other idols and the gods in their land and he lifted him and said he's just one of these other gods he may be the most powerful he's the one who historically is part of our society but we're gonna look inside we've never got a chance to look inside the ark 70 of them died Samuel comes and tells the people today if you're going to Turn your hearts back over to God. You need to, first of all, get rid of these foreign gods and direct your heart to serve him only. See, God's trying to remind the people of Israel, as they are treating him with disrespect, that he is their king. They had abandoned him for years as their king, and he's saying today, he is, I am their king. I am your king. He is their king. You don't need anyone else or anything else but me. You know, next week as we get into chapter 8, we're going to see that they have not learned this lesson and they abandon God as their king. And they ask Samuel, please bring us a human king that we can see. Because they don't want to honor, respect, or, or have God as their true king. So as God is, is we're trying to remind them that he is their king, he's not just some trophy to be placed on a wall. He's not some statue to be placed in a temple. We are the temple of God. And our king lives in us every single day. See, in this narrative we see that God is again showing the Israelites that he is their king that he is there's actually no need for a, a human king that he is the one who wants to be their sustainer he, wants to, he is the one who's going to be their provider he is the one who's going to draw them to himself as, as Ken reminded us this morning in Sunday school during our Bible study hour that he is the one who draws us to himself that left our own devices we're going to choose our own way selfishly choose our own way Samuel's calling the people to repentance there in verse 3 he says you need to put away these foreign gods if you do your dishes at your house and you just rinse them off and set them on the counter what's going to happen after a while Stack up, stack up, stack up, stack up. If you're single, it may take a little longer to stack up. But when you got a house full of it like ours, it does not take long for seven people's worth of dishes over one day. All of a sudden you got this mound of dishes. You got plates and cups. How do we go through so many cups? It may us have this problem. How do you go through so many water cups in one day? I think we could build a tower of pisa, leaning tower of pisa. Uh, the, the water cups we have in one day, because you're not putting them away. We're not getting rid of them out of our sight. We're washing them and setting them aside, or you're just setting them up there on the counter. And, Je- and, excuse me, Samuel is telling the people of Israel, and God's word to us today, you need to put away these false gods, put away these idols that are in our lives. Not just turn your back and ignore them, because they're still there, put them away. Get them out of your sight. Put them out of your mind and focus instead, your heart, he says, on the Lord. Then in verses 9 and 10, we'll get there in a minute, he leads them in the offering, sin and guilt offerings as part of the process. Samuel leads them in worship. And then he sets up a stone, the Ebenezer. I used to laugh about the Ebenezer song until I learned what an Ebenezer was. It's a stone of remembrance as we remember what God has done in us and through us and what He has brought us from. Why do we have the Lord's Supper? Why do we participate in communion every couple of months here? So that we can remember what God has done for us, what life He's brought us from. Some of us got saved when we were young, some of you got saved when you're older. And we remember in our lives at those times when we come together for the Lord's Supper and for communion, and every Sunday morning, we remember where God has brought us from. That he saved us from our sin to a life of holiness, to a life of righteousness, to a life that honors Him and glorifies Him with all that we do and say. And so, as Samuel is confronting the Israelites here this morning, he says, "You've been living this life of unrighteousness. You've been living this life that is not honoring your Lord." And God has brought judgment upon you. But today, you can come back to God with a fresh start. And these days, in 2018, it seems kind of awkward to think about idols of wood, stone, and clay, and rock, and whatever else they were made out of back then. But you know, we have our own idols today, don't we? We have our own man-made idols that we have put in place, the things that we honor, things that we may not come on Sunday mornings and worship, but we really, we worship them because we treat them with high respect and we treat them with a reverence that above and beyond what we should be given them. Think of our Monthly paychecks. Now, who here does not enjoy a paycheck? We all do. Okay. I'm not saying paychecks are bad. They provide livelihood and security. But who should we be turning to to trust for our livelihood and our security, right? God gives us our paychecks, but when every Friday morning you're like, oh, what's it gonna, what's it gonna, be, what's it gonna be? 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 I gotta get deposited right now because if, if I don't get that deposited right now. I'm not going to get through the weekend. Now, those of you who have direct deposit, you're lucky. <laughs> but what would happen if the paycheck stopped? What would happen if you didn't get that regular source of income? Would you worry? Would you fall down and go, oh, what am I going to do? When God says, I want to be your source of of security, your source of livelihood. For some of us, our jobs, your relationships, or the positions that we have are a source of hope. I'm the general manager, I'm the whatever, I'm the supervisor, I'm I'm just the lackey. <laughs> I just flip french fries. But those are sources of hope for us because we put our identity, we place our identity in those positions, in that job, in that place, in that title. I'm the pastor. Thou mustest obey. Yeah, right. When you place your identity in your job, in your title, or whatever else you have, instead of your identity in Christ, where God wants it, when you place your identity in who I am, in my education, in my... where I live, instead of placing my identity in Christ and letting him flow through me into the lives of those around me, then you're trusting in that rather than Christ. How about our retirement accounts? Our life insurance accounts? Your health insurance. If I don't have these things and they're not up to date and I'm not putting money in every week or every month to keep, because I got to know one day I've got to retire, right? Right? and I've got to have that retirement account built up, built up, because if it's not built up to a million dollars, how am I going to get through retirement? That's what, that's what all the experts say. If I don't have a million dollars in my retirement account, I can't live in retirement. If I don't have life insurance, what's going to happen to my wife and my kids if something happens to me? If I don't have health insurance, what's going to happen? Am I going to go to, if I go to the hospital, how am I going to survive? Now, I'm not saying any of these things are bad. But where is your hope and your trust? These things are gifts from God. They're not gods in themselves. Anything that we place in importance above God is an idol. Anything we place in importance above almighty, holy God, we've placed as a God above God. It doesn't matter what it is family, grandkids, job, church, your service, your duty. See, we come together this morning in worship because God is God. And he demands and asks and desires our worship of him. Our purpose in life is not to have a great retirement and to go get through life and then die. Our purpose in life is to glorify him and enjoy him forever ever and ever and ever. See, God is God. And he wants us to come at him and recognize in that truth. If you come at him recognizing him as anything else substandard, then you're placing something else as a God above him. See, Samuel reminds us there in verse 3 that only God can give us the true security that we long for. Everything else in this life, everything else in this world is sinking sand, as the hymn says. There's a pastor in New York City. His name is Tim Keller. I've become a, a, a big fan of his over the last several years. Tim Keller pastors the Re- Redeemer Presbyterian Church, or the Redeemer Church. Three different campuses, I think. In fact, I think he's this year he's actually officially stepping down as the lead pastor of these three campuses. He needed to go primarily into teaching, but Tim Keller had a word to say about idols in our lives.
1: I can think of three idols that are very common in the American church. One idol, I think, would be experience. Uh, people instead of looking to the Word of God to be their norm and their guide uh, tend to look to their own experience, their feelings, their intuitions, their impressions to be their guide. That's part of American individualism and therefore um, emotion and impression and experience is very good but when you make it more important than the Word of God or if you even put it higher than the Word of God it becomes an idol. A second one, this might surprise people, is um, doctrine. I actually do think some people make an idol out of doctrine because there are sectors of the church that say, if you have your doctrine straight and if you have your doctrine right, then you're pleasing to God and then you are part of the the solution of the problem and you're not like all these other parts of the church that are very heretical. And there's a pride and a smugness Uh, about having good doctrine that, to me, puts doctrine almost um, in the place of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and so it becomes an idol. Um, And I I think probably, lastly, there is such a thing as a very, a big problem we have is consumerism, and that is that uh, instead of people looking to the church as a place where they give themselves in community, they look at it as a place where they're going to get the services they want. uh, They have emotional needs, they have relational needs, they have vocational needs, and you go to a church because it's a good place to network, uh, to find somebody to date, a good place to maybe network for vocational purposes. So I'm going there because it meets my needs and I'm seeing it almost like a mall, rather than a family that I give myself to. And um, in that sense, I think consumerism is my felt needs become the idol, that is, they're more important than actually being part of a community. And so those are, I wouldn't say that those, by the way, idols exist equally across the whole church. I think certain sectors of the church struggle more than others with some of them. But those are all there, and they, uh, and they hurt us quite a bit.
0: I don't know where you are this morning and where your idols are. But we all have them. If we didn't have our idols in our own lives, then we'd be where God wants us to be. And Samuel leads, as he leads the people in worship, he talks to them about repentance. He talks about this is the first step that we have to take if we're going to get rid of these idols, if we're going to come back to the relationship with God that he wants us to have. You have to first get on your knees in repentance. Now, what is repentance? Let's look at the anatomy of repentance real quick. In verse 4, 1 Samuel chapter, uh, 7, verse 4, Samuel says, So the people of Israel put away the balls and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Well, that's awesome. Remember, he just said, this is what you got to do. And then Samuel said, Gather all, the, all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered at Mizpah, and drew water and poured it out for the Lord. And they fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel there at mitzvah. That's a beautiful picture of repentance in our own lives. Look at that. He says, the people of Israel put away the balls and they served the Lord only. Step one. Then we, uh, he, they came and they, they fasted and prayed on that day and said to the Lord, we have sinned against the Lord. It's not just recognizing it. It's confessing and and agreeing with God that I am not where I need to be. It's confessing before God and saying, God, I'm messed up. I'm a screwed up individual, and I need your help to put all these things away. I need your help, and I need to put my dependence and my trust in you. It's making that 180-degree turn. You're walking one direction, and then you turn around and go the other way. It's like when I saw Regina the first time, walking past there she goes. Well, she was hot. Still is hot. I wanted to go and find her and find, get her name and make sure that she had my phone number so she could call me and ask me out. Not quite. So what is, an, what is repentance? What does it mean to truly have a spirit of repentance in our lives? Number one, it's hearing what is wrong. Okay? Hearing what is wrong. It's listening and looking at the sin in our lives. We can fool ourselves, can't we? We are good fools. I can look at myself in the mirror and go, yeah, you got it all together. Look at that hair that used to be there. You can look at yourself and you can look at your own lives and go, I've got it all together. I read my Bible. I come to the right church. I've got the right doctrine. I've got all these different things down. But you ignore some of the issues in our lives that are wrong. Hearing what is wrong is looking at your life and examining. And number two, recognizing what is wrong in in our our lives. It's owning our sin, not deflecting it. It's owning our sin. It's not trying to fool ourselves and judge ourselves and say, yeah, yeah, I, I I mess up from time to time. No, it's identifying it and naming it and owning it. Saying it's my problem. This is my problem that I need to deal with. Number three, it's realizing that God is right. Affirming that God is right when he exposes the sin in our lives. Not trying to cast blame, cast judgment. It's recognizing, that God, you are right. You, you are holy God, and I cannot live this way in your presence. I need to change the way I'm living, change the way I'm speaking, change the way I'm thinking, Before you. Because God, you're right. I'm wrong. You are the infinite God of the universe. I'm your finite creation. You are holy God who's been the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, never changing, whose love is so amazing. His love is huger than I can ever experience. It's ginormous, it's immense. Whatever word you want to use to describe his love, it's more. More than our frail human words can describe. He is right. And it's realizing that he is right and I'm not. It's confessing where we got it wrong. It's confessing. You see what the Israelites did? They said they came before God and they said, We have sinned against the Lord. They admitted it. We have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. It's confessing it. Something happens in our minds. Now we know that God has forgiven us of our sins. If you're a believer in here and you have received Christ as your Savior, and you are, you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, as Ken said this morning. You know that, you know that, you know that. Your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. They're forgiven. The penalty for those sins will not be held against you in eternity. Your your, your eternity is secure in the hand of God. However, until we get to that point we meet God face to face, we still struggle. It's a struggle every single day to live a life that is pleasing to God, to live a life that is sinless. And I'm not there yet. If any of you have reached that point in your lives, you go, I am there, please come take my place and, 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 and teach us how to do that because none of us are there. None of us are there. And if something happens in that confessing time where we agree with God and you're on your knees and you're maybe you're by yourself and maybe you're, as, as Dave was reading this morning in 1 John, and you're reading through that and you go, man, God just brought something to my mind, something that I'm not comfortable with in my own life and I need to just deal with this. There's a, Something that happens when we confess that sin in our lives before God and we agree with him, God, this pride is not right. God, this attitude of consumerism is not right. God, this lofty view of myself is not right. Change me. Change me. When you confess it, something happens in our psyche that brings us more in tune and more in line with God's desire for us. And lastly, it's turning to God and living for Him. Turning to God and living for him every single day. It's making that 180 degree turn. It's not just veering off and making a 45 degree turn. It's not even making a 90 or a 220 degree turn. It's making a 180 degree turn and going the other way. Saying, I reject this old lifestyle. I reject this attitude. I reject what I've been thinking and living to now. And I'm going to live and walk the way Christ wants me to walk today. That's That's repentance. It's acknowledging my sin, acknowledging the way I've been living and saying, I don't want to live that way anymore. I need to walk with God because I want the blessings of God. I I want God to be pleased and be joyful with me. I want him to look at me and go, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to reject all that's unrighteous and walk righteously. Sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> it looks good on the screen. It looks good on paper. It's, it's a little more difficult in practice. I know. It's a lifetime of putting it into practice. It doesn't happen overnight. We've all seen or heard stories of those people who mean to live lives that are just horrible lives. We have a friend who was a drug dealer. We have a, a, and He was in all kinds of stuff, and he got, got, got into jail, and he met Jesus in jail. And his life, bam, 180-degree turn. You're like, wow, what happened to him? We hear those stories, and we're like, oh, that's not my story. My story is more a uh, meandering, right? <laughs> I meandered my way back to Jesus. I didn't do an about face. However, you get there, get there. Whether it's an about face, or you meander and make a wide turn, and maybe you miss the mark here, then you miss the mark here, and you miss the mark. Eventually, our goal is to get on that path. See, repentance is a choice. Did you know that? Repentance is a choice. The people of Israel had to choose to repent of their idols. They were happy, sitting and wallowing in their sin, wallowing in the filth, When they were presented with the truth, they had to make that choice to repent. I can't force it on you. Your spouse or your parents or your your kids can't force it on you. It's a choice that you have to make between you and God to repent, to turn around and walk that other direction that pleases God. Repentance is a decision that we make to honor and value the Lord more than anything else. We say, God, I I long for your relationship. I long to walk with you and I desire a personal relationship with you. So I'm going to make this choice to walk with you every single day. It's a response. It's our loving response to a God who loved us first. See, God loved you so much. While we were still in our sins. What does the Bible say? Christ loved died for you. While we were still stuck in our sins, while we were dead to ourselves, Christ died for me. 2,000 years ago, he looked down through history. He saw each and every one of us. He saw me. He said, I'd die for that person. I'm dying for David. I'm dying for Rich. I'm dying for Thomas. I'm dying for Danielle. I'm dying for Pat. I'm dying for Boyd each and every one of us, because while we were still in our sins, his love, huge, (laughs) ginormous, he died for us. See, our repentance, our coming back and aligning ourselves with God again is our loving response for what he has already done for us. Satan fights to make us feel uncomfortable and give us a false sense of home and security. But fresh starts and victory can only happen when we first submit ourselves to God. In verse 10, it says, As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. I love that. It says, while they were in the middle of worshiping, they were in the middle of offering their sacrifices, the Philistines crept up. We heard they're up here at Mitzpah. We're going to come and attack them and take them out for all they've done to us. See, when they sent the ark back, there was no repentance. When the Philistines sent the ark back, there was no sense of, we're going to get rid of our God Dagon and we're going to commit ourselves to the God of Israel. No. They heard the nation of Israel was up here at this area worshiping and offering sacrifices, and so their armies crept up, crept up, crept up. God says, I see you. No hiding from me. And it says the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day. See, when they were worshiping, the enemy came to attack. When they were getting their hearts right with God, when they were getting their hearts right and they were repenting of their sins, repenting of all this stuff, that's when the enemy attacked. To be that distraction, to get their minds off, get their eyes off of God and onto the enemy, onto what he was doing over here. You ever see magicians do a sleight of hand trick? Watch the cards, watch the cards. Where should you watch? Not the cards. Wherever they tell you to watch, don't watch there. You look wherever else. You you try to find out because they're going to do some sleight of hand. It's a distraction to keep you from seeing that they're really flipping the real card up their sleeve or flipping it behind their hand or wherever they're going to put it. It's a distraction. And Satan wants to distract you because if he can distract you from your repentance, he can keep you stuck in your old life. When the enemy attacked, what happened? God thundered with a mighty sound, I love it. He was saying, how dare you come against my people? How dare you come against my children of Israel? Would you have loved to have been there that day and heard the thundering voice of God? Man, what what must that sound have been like? Last night there were thunderstorms, but there were nothing compared to the thundering sound of God. I love it. God is looking out for you and I. See, as we turn to God for a fresh start, He thunders out for us. And then He does what so He becomes our stone of help. Verse 12 says, "Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. And he said, "Till now the Lord has helped us." Till now, the Lord has helped us. This stone that I'm raising up, this stone to, lift, to remind you of what God has done, this stone that I'm lifting up to remind you how great God is. He is a help for you in time of need. He is a help for us when we struggle. He's a help to always, always, always be there. That's what that Ebenezer is there for, to remind us. So what's the attitude we have to have before God? God. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. What's the attitude there? You come before God humbly. You come before God acknowledging that he is God and you are not. You come before God and you say, God, I've been living a life that's not been pleasing to you. And I don't care what it is. It can be big in your eyes. It can be small in your eyes. I don't care. God does. He wants us to align with him, to turn from our ways 180 degrees and walk with him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. What an awesome promise. See, this morning, God is offering each and every one of us that fresh start. God is offering each and every one of us the opportunity Find him in such a way. It starts in here. It starts with that humble choice and saying, God, I've messed up. It's me again, God. It's me again. It's me, I've messed up again. It's me, I've messed up again. It's me, I've messed up again. He doesn't care how many times you have to come, just come this morning as we get ready to sing. Maybe this morning you're saying, Pastor David, I I need that fresh start. I've been living in such a way that my life has not been pleasing to God. I've been living in such a way that I've been living for myself. I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm frustrated, I'm prideful, I'm judgmental, I'm greedy, I'm whatever. Come. Come fresh start is offered to each and every one of us this morning. Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute as Drew comes to lead us in the final song.